Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hello, Salt Church. Great to be with you online. Great if you're joining us new. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. My name's uh, Michael Plage. Uh, Great to be opening up Romans chapter 12 with you this morning. Let me pray as we, we begin. Let's pray together. Our great Heavenly Father, please give us minds now that focus. Give us hearts that are willing to obey what you say. Uh, Father, we pray that as we press into this passage, you would indeed change us uh, by your mercy. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, let me tell you about a friend uh, who has a job in a high-security uh, prison in Sydney. Now, every day when he arrives at work, uh, he has a job to begin with. Uh, from the front gate of the prison to his desk, there are 16 security checks. If he forgets something at the car, he's got a half an hour round trip uh, to get back to work. But, you know, I reckon he's got the best job in the world. Every day, he looks in the eyes of hardened criminals and tells them this message. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, God wants you to come home to him. Now, yes, you've messed up, but there is good news for you. Uh, God will receive you as you are, and when you come to him, God will change you. God is going to transform you. Very simple message, isn't it? Come as you are, but be prepared that God won't leave you as you are. He's going to change you. You're on a journey. It's why I love prison ministry. I think that is massively hopeful, isn't it? I can't think of a better message to speak into the life of someone who's really made a mess of their life. In fact, I can't think of a better message to speak into anyone's life. It's the best message I've heard. It's actually what's so great about the gospel, isn't it? Uh, There's no message like it. God will receive you as you are. There is God's massive mercy and grace uh, towards us in Jesus. Uh, The idea that no sin is too great. You don't need to clean up your act. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You don't need to be good enough. It's why Jesus came into the world to save sinners like us. Uh, God will forgive you. God will receive you. And then when you come, he's going to enact some massively good changes to your life. He's going to transform your life. You're going to be a completely different person on a completely different journey. Come as you are, but be prepared to change. Very exciting, very powerful message, I think. And I reckon it's a message that our world desperately needs to hear. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but the whole idea of change, of personal change in our culture is incredibly confusing, isn't it? Uh, On one level, uh, we're hearing the message really loudly and clearly, you don't need to change. I mean, think about how how offensive is it that you call me to change? I am who I am. I'm an individual. Are you saying there's something wrong with me? Uh, It's that idea, you're beautiful just the way you are. It's the theme, the words of Alicia Cara's song, Scars to Your Beautiful, written about women, for women, I think really helpfully, you're beautiful just the way you are and you don't have to change a thing. But if that's the message 
If that's the total message, it's, it, it's very loud and clear in our society, isn't it? Be true to yourself. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to change. You're beautiful just the way you are. And yet, at the same time, aren't we hearing an opposite message as well? You do need to change. You do need to look a certain way. That's precisely why she wrote that song. You, you do need to have a particular image. And not just women, but men. I don't know whether you've noticed that men also called not, not to be masculine because masculinity is, is, is toxic, is, is bad. Very confusing message, isn't it? It's no wonder we're struggling, and particularly if you're young, working this out, with identity, with security, who am I, who am I meant to be? It is a confusing message. And you think to yourself, what is the answer to that? And the answer to that is the gospel message. The gospel says you are deeply loved by God. You could not be more loved by anyone. Uh, There in God is real affirmation of who you are, real solid identity in a loving God, and yet God wants better things for you. God wants to transform you. God wants to change you to be better. Now, that is what Romans chapter 12 is all about. That's the journey we're going to be on this term. Um, Receive the mercy of God. Understand that deeply. And now that you've received the mercy of God, God is about the business of changing you. And God wants you to participate in that change. Um, So here we are, Romans chapter 12. Uh, It's a series of eight weeks. Uh, That's the journey one. We're going to do bite-sized pieces of the chapter. So often you'll notice at Salt we're doing a whole book, we're doing big chunks, chapters. Uh, this time it's going to be uh, verses, one or two verses each week. Um, and what is it about? The whole of the Romans 12 is a rich chapter delving into what does that transformed life look like? Uh, what does it look like to be transformed by the love of God, the mercy of God? What does it look like to live as a disciple of Jesus? And there's a whole lot of topics it covers off on. So as we head off on that journey, be ready, I think, be ready for change. Be ready for change in all kinds of areas of your life. Uh, That's what God wants. Uh, Whether you've been a Christian for a little while, whether you've been a Christian for a long while, be prepared to rethink some things as we hear God speak to us over the next eight weeks on what does it look like to be transformed. Now, can I say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, understand... This chapter is about what the Christian life looks like. Uh, understand that clearly. It's not about how to become a Christian. We'll, we'll touch on that along, along the way. I've even just spoken about that. Uh, but it's how to live as a Christian now that you've become a Christian, if that makes sense. So now listen carefully today, because today we're just one verse. But I think this one verse has massive implications for all of life. Uh, listen carefully, because this one verse... If you get it wrong, I reckon you get the whole chapter wrong. Um, So make sure you you tune in today. Open up Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1, or on your phone, in your Bible, let's, let's go. Romans 12, verse 1, says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So as I said, each week, a little snippet, here it is, verse 1. 
so small, I reckon, are these snippets we're going to do. You could, you could memorise them. That might be a great thing to do. Imagine memorising each little snippet. You'll end up memorising the whole of uh, Romans chapter 12. Maybe we should have a competition to see who can do that. Uh, whatever motivates you, uh, memorisation of scripture. I don't know whether we do much of that anymore, but I think it's incredibly helpful. Gets it kind of in your head, in your heart. Uh, think about verse 1. I remember memorising it way back, and I think I can still do it. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, I distinctly remember hearing this verse for the first time when I was 18 at uni and thinking, wow, this is incredible, this verse, uh, because this verse summarises the whole of the Christian life. Uh, it looks back on receiving the mercy of God, then it looks forward on the transformed life. Really very powerful verse uh, and very helpful verse. Let's, uh, let's unpack the phrases in this verse. Um, there's, a, there's a command in this verse and then there's a deep reason for the command. We're going to start with the command and then uh, you know, what is God asking us to do? And then we'll go back and understand why is God asking us to do that? There's a powerful reason So the command is there, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Offer your body, offer your life as a living sacrifice. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word sacrifice. Uh, I want you to think, how is the word used in the rest of the Bible? Uh, You should think Jesus, yes, if you've been familiar with Christian things for a while. Jesus is the true sacrifice at the cross, the one perfect sacrifice for sins. But go back a bit before that. How do we understand Jesus' sacrifice? It's the sacrifices of the Old Testament, isn't it? Uh, Central to God's people, the priest offering a sacrifice, an animal uh, at the temple for the sins of the people. Uh, If you're not familiar with that idea, it's simply a sheep, a goat, a bull is literally taken from the paddock against its will. There it is out there living a completely happy life, if you like, dragged off, placed on the altar, uh, slaughtered, sacrificed. Uh, Think about that animal. It's life no longer its own. It's life given up. It's life given now for a different purpose. And Paul here says, that is your life, if you're a Christian. Lay your life on the altar. Intentionally put yourself on the altar and stay there. There is a difference though, isn't there? Hopefully you've worked this out already. Uh, Difference between the Old Testament sacrifice and us, we're not Jesus. We haven't offered the one and true sacrifice for sins, but we're also a living sacrifice, unlike the animal that's offered. And because we're living sacrifices, there's a problem, isn't there? Our temptation is to crawl off the altar, to not stay on the altar. That's our problem. Paul says, offer your life as a sacrifice, stay on the altar every day, Uh, every morning offer yourself to God, pray that that God's will be done in your life. Uh, If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're living for God's glory, that's what it's all about. You're not your own, you've actually changed your priorities into God's priorities, Uh, you're offering yourself there on the altar. It's actually no different to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. Remember when Jesus talked about being a disciple, a follower of Jesus? He said these words, Anyone who wants to be my disciple must die to self. There's that idea again. Take up their cross. Your life is not your own. 
and come, follow me. It's the normal Christian life to offer yourself on the altar before God for his glory. Our lives are now a sacrifice to God. Give, give them over. Give them up to God. Uh, it's picked up in Romans as well. It's not huge in, in Romans, in the, in the chapters before Romans chapter 12, but uh, Romans chapter 6 verse 13 I think is really helpful. By the way, if you haven't read verses, uh, chapters 1 to 11, do that uh, as we go through this series. Really helpful background. We're stepping in unhelpfully perhaps to chapter 12. You'll need to do the hard work to know the context, uh, we'll, but we'll keep helping you with that. So Romans 6 verse 13 says, Offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Uh, that's what Jesus has done for us. He died, he rose again, now you've died and you've risen again. So offer yourselves to God, that's what Romans 6 is about. Last phrase, offer every part of yourself to him. Give your whole life up to him now because of what he's done for you. Uh, Notice too, in Romans 12, the living sacrifice, it is our whole life. We're going to be doing life on the altar as the living sacrifice, to state the obvious. Uh, I think it's why the rest of the chapter is actually about how to live, how to behave, how to operate in life. Uh, that is, the rest of the chapter is how to be a living sacrifice, how to put yourself on the altar every day. So watch out for that. Now here's the question though, why would you do that? Why would you offer yourself on the altar? Why would anyone give up their, their priorities, their life, their dreams to come and offer themselves on the altar before God, wholeheartedly to him. Well, there's a powerful reason in verse 1. It's that phrase, in view of God's mercy. Notice that, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Really um, important thing too, notice the verse starts with the word, therefore. Uh, very helpful to ask, why is the there, therefore, when you see that word therefore? What's the ideas before that connect with the ideas that are coming? And Paul's saying that everything that's come so far in the book of Romans, everything he's written so far, is the mercy of God. So as we hear today's message, it's in view of what I've told you about the mercy of God. Remember those first 11 chapters. Because of what I've told you about the mercy of God in the first 11 chapters... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, let's just have a think about the first 11 chapters. You'll need to read them, you'll need to do the hard work. But let me give you a little bit of a sketch. How is the mercy of God described in the first 11 chapters? It's kind of, I reckon it's pretty easy to see in the first three chapters. Uh, humanity has very clearly rebelled against God, Romans chapter 1. Uh, it even describes there, chapter 1, verse 21. Our thinking has become futile, our hearts have become dark and that's who we are in our natural selves. But God in his mercy, chapters 2 and 3, uh, has provided Jesus as an atonement for our sins. Uh, we're justified, we're put right, chapter 5, uh, before God as we put our trust in him. And it all culminates in chapter 11 where it says there is no longer any condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful message describing the mercy of God. But then you get to those tricky chapters, chapters 9 to 11, where God hardens some 
and softens the hearts of others. Now, Christians often struggle with these verses. Maybe you've wrestled with these verses. Maybe you haven't and you need to. So get into those couple of chapters, uh, really important parts of God's word. But some people read those chapters and they think, here, we've heard the mercy of God, God's kindness, and all of a sudden in two chapters, it seems that things get ugly. It seems that God turns ugly. Suddenly God is aloof or arbitrary. Well, suddenly God is unkind because he's hardened some and not, hard, and not others. And... But Paul's saying, no, I've just told you about the mercy of God, including chapters 9, 10, 11. In fact, it's there in chapter 11. If you have a look at chapter 11, verse 30, turn, turn with me there to chapter 11, verse 30. And it just says, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their, the Jews' disobedience. So they too have become disobedient, the Jews, in order that they too may receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. What a beautiful statement. So he might have mercy on everyone. That's why he's done this. See what's happened? Now, very briefly, God has hardened the Jews so the gospel might bounce off them and go out to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the world. And so he hardens the, the hearts of one nation, Israel, so he might, his mercy might extend to the whole globe. And then the Jews, seeing God's mercy to the world, God's hope is that they, their hearts might be stirred. They might go, we want the mercy of God. We God's mercy might come back to them, the Jews, and save them. Can you see, God desires the mercy of all, Jew and Gentile, the whole globe. It's an, enormous, it's an amazing plan, isn't it? It's why in chapter 11, it finishes with a song of praise and glory. How awesome is God? How, how magnificent is God? How merciful is God, Paul says. Do you see... At the heart of God, you've got to see this, is mercy. It's always been at the heart of God. Don't ever get the impression that God is not merciful. Don't ever get the impression that God is arbitrary or aloof or distant or uncaring. Don't think that God is playing games with people. Now here is the God, Paul's saying, who is merciful. There is no one more merciful. There is no one more kind, more gracious than God. It's all over the Bible, but we heard it in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He is, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So here again, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In view of the massive mercy of God, the massive mercy of God that you've experienced, now offer your body, offer your life as a living sacrifice to him. You know, I love the J.B. Phillips translation. I can't say I'm a great fan of that translation generally, but I just it stood out to me this week when someone pointed out to me. It says this, Offer yourselves eyes wide open to God's mercy. Fully aware of what God has done for you. Fully aware that God hasn't given you what you deserve. That's mercy. 
Now live a completely different life. Now live a transformed life. Now offer your life on the altar. Can I say too that is, this is what makes Christianity unique to every other religion on the planet. The, the come as you are, come and receive mercy, the kindness, the forgiveness of God, God coming to us in Jesus and then God calling us to change. Every other religion is the reverse, isn't it? Think about it. Every other religion is saying, you need to do something. You need to make the first move. You need to be good enough. You need to be counted worthy. You need to turn over a new leaf. You need to be somewhat on the right track for God to notice you. And if you don't, there's no hope for you. That's not Christianity. See, it's so different, isn't it? God comes to us with great mercy. God does something for us in Jesus, in the death of his son, the atonement for our sins once and for all that we could never do for ourselves. That's where it starts, in view of God's mercy. And then God is going to change you and God is calling you to change. Really, really important to get that right. Saved by God, secure in God and the mercy of God to go on and live a life of good works. Not the opposite. It's not do good things, live a good life, try to impress God and then maybe you'll be acceptable to God. Now, if that's true, there's a problem, isn't there? If that's true, if I'm saved by God's mercy, if there's nothing I can do to be saved... What stops me from living how I want? Have you ever asked that question? What stops me from sinning? Uh, if I'm forgiven by God, if Jesus, we keep hearing Jesus has died for my sins, there's no sin that's unforgivable. What does it matter if I keep on sinning? And the answer is here in this verse. It's the mercy of God that motivates us. Think about this for a moment. If you're a follower of, of Jesus, follow this with me. Um, work out, is this your instinct? Uh, work out whether this is your experience, this is your instinct. Whether, when you're tempted to sin, do you say, I can't sin because it would dishonour God. I cannot dishonour my Heavenly Father. Now, we don't always get that right. But there is the Christian instinct. There is the Christian life. Uh, the idea that, God, in, for all that you've done for me, how could I dishonour you, my Heavenly Father? Can you see, we're not compelled by judgment, we're not compelled by following rules, we're compelled by God's mercy. See, having experienced the kindness, the mercy of God, realising all that he's done for me, I want to live a life that honours him. Is that your instinct? You know, if, if that's not your instinct, can I say that there's something wrong? Uh, if, if you think you can be involved in Christian things, if you come to church, be part of church community, and then the rest of the week you live how you want, that's not Christianity. And it's po quite possible maybe you don't know the Father. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you haven't experienced the mercy of God. Uh, let, me, let me put it to you in, in a human relationship. Why am I faithful to my wife? Now, it's not because I'm afraid of getting caught in adultery. 
It's not to keep a rule, can I say. It actually has to do with a relationship with her. It has to do with her as a person. See, there, there she is. Natalie has been... I forgot to tell her that I was going to do this illustration too. Uh, she's been incredibly kind and merciful to me. She loves me. She's put up with me for 25 years, over 25 years. Uh, here's a picture of us on our wedding day. And you can see that we haven't changed a single bit. <laughs> Why is it? It's because I could not bear to dishonour her. It has to do with the relationship. It has to do with her. It has to do with mercy and love. And how much more is it the case with God? Do you know the deep mercy of God? Is that what propels you to live a different life? Uh, can, I, can I suggest to you, if you don't know the mercy of God, um, do talk to someone about that today. Get in touch with us. Use the QR code. Love to talk to you about experiencing the deep mercy of God. So in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Last phrase, this is your true and proper worship. Now true and proper, you might have something different in your translation. Uh, It's actually the Greek word translated uh, logikos. Logikos, logikos worship. It's hard to get your head around. Um, So my NIV here translates it true and proper worship. Uh, The old NIV had spiritual worship. That's the idea. Some have inner worship, reasonable worship. Um, But as you hear that Greek word, logikos, what, what is the English word that it reminds you of? Isn't it the word logical? This is your logical worship. Uh, let me flesh that out a little bit for you. There's, there's two ideas, I, I think, here in, in logical worship. It's the worship of your inner being. It's the worship of mind and heart. It's the opposite to just going through the motions, uh, doing things without engaging your mind, without engaging your heart. It also means uh, your appropriate worship. In other words, the worship that makes sense that you're not an animal. You have a mind and a heart, so engage that mind and heart. It's appropriate to worship God in that way, a logical and appropriate worship. So we're going to, we're going to see more about the mind in, uh, from verse 2 next week. A very, very key part of worship is the renewing of your mind in verse 2. Uh, a worship that is directed by the mind, a changed mind. Um, th- there's another really key part of Christianity. The mind is important. Uh, what we're talking here, what Paul is talking about, is rational worship. Uh, becoming a Christian is not about lopping off your head and following your emotions or your feeling. It is both head and heart, mind and feelings. And so what does that say to us? Well, it says beware of irrational worship, irrational worship that claims to be Christian. Worship that somehow bypasses the mind is not Christian worship. Now, I did some, I did some research this week on the recent history of music and song uh, in the broad church just over the last hundred years. Um, by the way, I hope you're looking forward to singing again, not just in your living room, but singing here at 275 as we get back to physical gatherings. I know I've really missed that uh, great gift from God as uh, we encourage one another and sing with our hearts. Uh, but let me, let me just press into this idea of um, music and song. About 60 years ago, I learned, 
the praise and worship movement kicked off, uh, introducing what they called worship songs. Uh, many great songs and, and some dreadful songs as well. Uh, you might have thoughts on this. But what they really tried to do was a fantastic thing. They wanted to transform the way we sing in church. Uh, they wanted to sing, us to sing with emotion and, and feeling. But it also changed the way we used our language as it related to singing and worship. And I reckon it's, it's something I want to continue to resist, uh, that language change. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but it's been around for a while. In, in some Christian circles, worship means singing. Uh, so when they're talking about worship, they are just talking about singing. Uh, worship is what we do when we sing and even sing together. In fact, um, some would say that worship only happens when you sing and you sing a particular kind of song or are in a particular kind of frame, if you like. That is, when you're caught up, they would say, in the experience of the worship gathering. There's that word again, worship. When you're caught up in the emotion of the music, when you, you're almost in a trance, if you like. Uh, and they would say, experiencing God, touched by the Spirit, um, and your mind is disengaged and becomes increasingly disengaged as you move into worship. Now, I reckon Romans 12 verse 1 is saying no. That is not worship. That is irrational. True worship is logikos worship. It at least engages the mind. Now, it also involves all of life. It's not just singing. But let's say, as we think about singing, it's intelligent, meaningful singing. And it's singing, yes, with music that stirs our emotions to think about the words and what God has done for us but singing that engages our minds and music that helps us feel the deep truths of God. That's what the music's for. So you can see both the lyrics and the music are important and don't, don't ever minimise singing and don't do a poor job with singing. Sing wholeheartedly to God as, as we bring praise to him. Feel the deep truths of God as we sing together. Hear the voices of the brothers and sisters. That's an incredible gift to us, very powerful. But do understand that worship is not just singing, right? It's much bigger than that. In fact, here's the question. When did you start worshipping God today? Have you worshipped God today? The answer is you have. Worship started when you woke up. It, it started with how you treated the people in your household, your family or your flatmates. It started with your willingness, your keenness to jump online. Your worship is how you treat people, how you drive, uh, how you care for people, when you invite people, when you give your money to gospel ministry. It's, it's a whole, whole of life thing, isn't it? It's all day, it's every day, it's all week, it's every week. It's all of today and it's all of tomorrow when you head off to work or stay home to work. Uh, it's every day as you put yourself on the altar to God, to offer yourself to God. Let's read it one more time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. A couple of things as we finish this morning. 
Um, I've already mentioned this, but let me say it again. Do you know the mercy of God? Have you experienced forgiveness of sin, the deep, deep transformation that comes when you know God loves you, has forgiven you, you're adopted into his family, washed clean, nothing you could have done, secure in him. Do get that confidence as you put your trust in Jesus. Speak to someone uh, about getting to that place. It's a beautiful place. But here's the thing. What will bring deep change in your life? It's reflecting, it's knowing that deep mercy of God. That's the Christian way. Start drinking deeply in the mercy of God. That is what will fuel a life that is incredibly different. That's what will propel you to worship God in all of your life. So you think about it for a minute. Who is the person who loves the most, sacrifices the most for Jesus, serves more, gives more? It's the person who knows the deep, deep mercy of God, isn't it? In fact, I reckon it's proportional. The more you know the mercy of God, the more you're going to be fueled to worship God. And can I say too, again, isn't it the message that our world needs to hear? Uh, We need to be affirmed as people. Uh, We are beautifully made in God's image. And yet we do need deep change, don't we? We know that for ourselves, we know that for our world. And that is what God has done in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And not only that, he's he's made it into a beautiful community. He hasn't just changed me and you as individuals, he's changed us as a people of God, a transformed community that points people to the mercy of God. That's a beautiful thing. That's what we want to be here at Salt. Uh, Let's keep experiencing the mercy of God and that transformed life. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the mercy that you've shown to us in the Lord Jesus, for his sacrifice once and for all for our sins. Father, thank you that there was nothing we could do to earn our salvation. Uh, We are secure in you, affirmed by you, because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, help us to keep reflecting, keep uh, drinking deeply from your mercy towards us. But Father, thank you so much too that you don't leave us as we come. Uh, You seek deep change within our lives. Uh, You want to transform us and you call us uh, to lay our lives on the altar, to give ourselves up for your glory. Uh, Father, please help us to do this in all of life. Uh, Father, help us as we head into this series of Romans 12, as we dig into life with each other and uh, deep change. Lord, by your spirit, work in us that we might be different people and we might be a different community here at Salt. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.